all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Happy Friday, everyone. And I usually start off with Happy Friday because it's the end of the week and I'm excited. Um, And it's another wonderful Friday where we seem to have beautiful weather across um, the southeast so far. I know particularly here it's not deathly hot. It's tolerable. It's probably going to increase as the day progresses. But right now, I felt like it was fairly comfortable outside. So I hope everybody's getting outside um, and enjoying this weather while it lasts. Um, So this morning, I've decided to talk about reflux. And so I kind of pick reflux because this is something I kind of think about and reflect on my week um, in the clinic. And it's something that has come up a lot almost in my clinic all the time, not just this past week. And it can be, honestly, I feel like one of the most frustrating things that a lot of my patients deal with. Um, and as you guys know, I always start off the show just kind of giving you a little bit of background. So some people call it GERD. Some people call it heartburn, um, reflux, however you want to name it. But um, GERD just stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. So if you hear people saying that they have GERD. And if you're looking at the statistics, it's found in about 10 to 20 percent um, of patients in the U.S. or people in general are oftentimes dealing with a reflux. And as always, no shocker, for some reason, women, this is something that we seem to have a bigger problem with than men in general. Um, if you're looking kind of at the population and doing a comparison But as many things, we're not 100% sure why that is the case. So I will be perfectly honest. I never had a true appreciation of what reflux was until I was pregnant with my first child, Trey. My mom has struggled with reflux a good bit of her life, and she was always describing it to me. And I'm like, this can't be that bad. (laughs) Like, it's what I was thinking in my head. And then I had, then I was pregnant with my son, Trey, and I felt like it was probably one of the most miserable things I dealt with in pregnancy. Again, there's a lot of other things that can be challenging in pregnancy, but reflux was just became one of those things, particularly by my third trimester. I drank water and I got heartburn. I was like, this is not fair. Um, And it was like I couldn't lay down to sleep. And it was just this constant feeling of heartburn. I was starving, but every time I ate, I felt terrible. So today I'm just not just for pregnant people, but I'm just going to explore the topic of reflux in general or heartburn or or however you kind of may want to define that. Um, So there's lots of different types. So what is reflux? So many of us think of it as almost essentially like 
acid essentially coming up from your stomach, causing some irritation in your food pipe um, and giving you some discomfort or different types of symptoms um, is probably the the simple like the simplest way to describe that. And some people, you know, that reflux can be apparent um, if we were to take a camera and do an EGD, as we call it, and look, and you can actually see some changes within your food pipe or esophagus um, where you actually see uh, some inflammation and erosion and that type of thing that go along with reflux and it's actually visible. But you also can have people that have what we call non-erosive reflux disease. So you go and you take a camera and it's not really all that impressive, but we know the patient has reflux. And if we do some other tests like looking at their pH and some other things, um, you know, you may be able to uh, still diagnose reflux. But that's oftentimes what we call non-erosive reflux. But most of us essentially, most physicians across the board and even patients that are walking down the aisles, picking up a medication to treat their symptoms, we oftentimes define reflux reflux disease based off of our symptoms. So many of us, you know, it kind of classic heartburn. People know what we're talking about when we're talking about reflux when they have the symptoms of heartburn. So it just feels like there's literally something burning in your chest. There's something coming back up from your stomach and kind of causing what we call that classic kind of heartburn. It's usually in the center of the chest. It typically happens after we eat. We can almost like pinpoint it. I ate this and then my chest started hurt and I got heartburn. Um, and we already know oftentimes our favorites, those spicy foods, fried foods, all that good stuff that tastes good, oftentimes doesn't make us feel so great. Um, So that's classic heartburn. For me, unfortunately, I love a cold glass of orange juice and sometimes a mimosa, but my reflux does not like it. So I have to, to... space it out when I try to enjoy those things. But anyway, so that's classic heartburn. Some people can have what we call almost like regurgitation. It's not just the feeling of burning or acid or stomach contents coming up, but some people can sometimes have that where they get little bits of food kind of come up or things that they've digested recently. And that's more of like a regurgitation, but we still put it essentially in the family of reflux because sometimes it's often treated very similarly as we do reflux. Some people don't always get that classic burning in their chest. Some people just say something just kind of feels like it's just stuck, like things just aren't moving through like it should. And I just kind of get this feeling like things are just stuck in my chest. So that can sometimes be what reflux looks like for some people. It's not the classic my chest was burning. It's like things just aren't moving all the way down. Now, there are some people and I tell these Patients are the ones that definitely need to be talking to their doctor that have pain when they're swallowing and eating their foods. And that can be a sign, but oftentimes not quite typically reflux by itself. And those are my patients that I say, we really need to get you in, see you talk about what's really going on. But some people can have pain with swallowing. So dysphagia, difficulty with swallowing, odynophagia, um, you can have some pain with swallowing. And sometimes that can be an ulcer or something a little bit more serious that needs to be looked at. Some people just have like chest pain, like it just hurts in their chest, not pain when they swallow, but just kind of a like nagging pain in the center of their chest that can be consistent with reflux. Now, I really want to kind of pause there talking about that symptom, mainly because that's kind of another reason that I picked reflux as a topic, because A, I have a lot of patients that deal with reflux, and it's nice to, you know, be able to answer a lot of people's questions and hopefully um, get some people some relief that might be wondering what's going on. But 
I really like to point out to my female patients because I've had several of my female patients that have come into clinic to me for just a routine checkup and have told me that they are having reflux or heartburn and they just describe this pain in the center of their chest and they just brush it off. Well, a lot of times my patients, I'm like, hold on, let's back it up (laughs) and see what's going on and ask more questions. And of course, this goes along with your risk factors and things like that when we talk about things that might not be reflux. So oftentimes, particularly women, we don't have the classic symptoms of a heart attack or heart disease that men have. You know, they talk about that crushing pain, pressure, feels like an elephant on your chest, radiates to your arm, you sweat, you know, all those kind of things. Women have very atypical symptoms. I've had several of my female patients come into my office and tell me they thought they were having heartburn. And I ask a few more questions. Um, And, you know, I had one patient that was like, oh, you know, it happens every time I get up in the morning, you know, I know my stomach's empty and growling and, you know, having some heartburn. And, you know, I think it's just reflux. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's it. And I had another patient very similar. So after I ate, you know, I just get that discomfort in my chest. But after talking to them, I, I asked one of my patients, like, well, what do you do in the morning? She was like, oh, I run. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, chest pain with running. That's not reflux. And then my other patient was kind of like, you know, once I get up and kind of start doing my things as the day, that nagging kind of pain just stays there. Um, so a lot of times in women, you can have what feels like reflux or heartburn be signs of coronary artery disease. So I don't want everybody out there that thinking that they have heartburn and needs to go see a cardiologist. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want you to make sure you're having this discussion with your doctor. Because if you've got high blood pressure, you've got high cholesterol, you've got diabetes, you know, uncle had a heart attack when he was, you know, 49, then those would make me, my radar go up and say, okay, maybe I need to look a little bit deeper into this and not just teach treat you as classic reflux. So I don't want patients, you know, thinking that, oh my gosh, the heartburn after I had that spicy taco, I'm having a heart attack. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying just make sure that you're having that discussion with your doctor as well and don't brush it off. Definitely if you're a high risk patient. So again, sometimes reflux can mimic things as serious as um, heart disease in some patients. Some people, this is the interesting one that a lot of patients don't realize is some people with chronic cough are silently refluxing. So not everybody, like I said, can have that like classic burning in my chest, kind of heartburn type pain. Some people you go to sleep at night, the stomach's empty, got all this acid kind of bubbling up and, you know, you can get a little bit of what we call almost like a silent reflux. You don't get that classic heartburn, but it's just enough to kind of irritate the back of your throat, the larynx, all those things and make you cough. So some people can get that weird kind of acidy taste in their mouth that points me in the direction that they're having reflux. But there's some patients that we can't always explain their cough and come to find out they've just been silently refluxing all along. So again, reflux could be your classic heartburn after you have a certain meal, and it just can essentially be a consolation of symptoms when we're talking about reflux in some patients. Um, So we have started the hour off talking a little bit about reflux or GERD or heartburn or or whatever you kind of may choose to call it and what that looks like in in a lot of patients and, you know, what symptoms that can ultimately present in for some people as well. And so, you know, kind of going on, kind of hit a little bit about, you know, making sure you're not chalking things up to reflux and things may be something a little bit different, particularly heart disease. 
um, and a lot of my female patients. Um, but what else kind of looks like reflux? You know, before you're going over the counter and getting you some Tums and, and you know, thinking kind of classic reflux, you know, what kind of things other things looks like reflux? So some patients can have just the basic reflux where you're just having this extra acid production causes some irritation. Um, but sometimes you can have an infection um, that essentially feels like reflux. So what people, when I say we call it an infectious esophagitis, um, so some, as babies can kind of get thrush in their mouth, that white film that you kind of see on their tongues or inside of their mouths, adults can get that as well. And so you can also get that same kind of fungal infection that causes thrush can also give you an esophagitis. So that means that that infection can go all the way down to the esophagus in some patients. Um, and they can get what we call an infectious esophagitis esophagitis. Also, um, just like um, HSV, that's kind of similarly what causes like um, cold sores or genital herpes or those types of things, you can get um, an HSV infection of the esophagus as well. Um, oftentimes, that's a little bit different than reflux. Patients oftentimes have a lot more pain associated with those infections. So what type of people get those kind of infections? They're usually our group of patients that we consider immunocompromised. So if you're on chronic steroids, you're at increased risk for those types of infections of your esophagus. Um, if you are, you know, have HIV um, or some other type of immunodeficiency where your immune system's down um, or going through chemotherapy or other things of that nature, you're at risk for those types of infections. So it looks kind of like reflux, but we're really dealing with more of an infection. And the way we kind of differentiate that from something else is getting a camera and taking a look. Some people can even get what we call an appeal esophagitis. And so that is where your reflux that pain that you're getting or inflammation within your food pipe or the esophagus is caused by some medications that we take. You can get a pill esophagitis. Um, so a lot of times, you know, you can see just not the pill esophagitis, but inflammation in your stomach in general and NSAIDs. So as we tell you guys, ibuprofen, you know, Aleve, Motrin, high doses of aspirin, those types of things that can upset your stomach can also give you almost what we call like a pill esophagitis as well. A a lot of antibiotics we take um, sometimes can be big culprits of that. My patients that are on medications for osteoporosis, so bisphosphonates, those are other ones that are big um, culprits of that. That is pretty much that those medications cause irritation to our food pipe. And so you can get essentially something that feels like reflux. Another very special group um, is something that I won't dive into too much, but you can get essentially an eosinophilic esophagitis, and that's where a special type of cell causes inflammation with in your esophagus, um, and sometimes you can get very similar symptoms. Again, that's taking a camera and biopsies and things of that nature to diagnose things like that. So those are oftentimes some other things that look like it. Some people can often sometimes have a motility disorder, the way things are, our esophagus doesn't kind of contract and move the food down like it should, can kind of give you those kind of things. Um, if you're, you know, the kind of, I call it the lower esophageal sphincter, so that nice kind of ring that helps keep your food in in your stomach. Sometimes if you've got dysfunction there, you can kind of get similar symptoms. So again, a wide range of things that can ultimately give us this kind of reflux type symptom. So that's why when you're walking down the aisle 
one, it says, if you're using this medication for more than this amount of time, please talk to your doctor or don't use it for longer than this. It's just pretty much making sure that we get the diagnosis right and what we're treating, you know, is what is actually going on. So then I talked all all this about your symptoms and things like that. So how do we diagnose reflux? Like what are our options? Nine times out of 10, most of us are diagnosing it in the clinic just based off of your history. If you get give me a good story that goes along with your run-of-the-mill GERD or gastroesophageal reflux and you're not having what we call, you know, essentially red flags, and we'll kind of dive into some of those red flags a little bit later, then oftentimes we tell you that you probably do in fact have reflux. Some things that we can do to help diagnose reflux, sometimes, you know, you might go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor for your cough, like I mentioned, or your sinuses, and they oftentimes will go and take a look with a camera, and they're like, oh, looks like you've got some, like, laryngeoesophageal reflux, or they'll see some inflammation, you know, on their little camera and say, hey, you probably got some reflux. So even sometimes as your ENT doctor, you can have some signs that make them think that, that you possibly are dealing with reflux. You can also work with your gastroenterologist who can do an EGD, like I mentioned, and that or a scope or upper scope, you hear people say. And that's where we take that little camera. They put you to sleep. They put you to sleep. You're not awake for this. They put you to sleep and they take a nice little camera. They look at your food pipe, the esophagus, and they go down a little bit further and also look at your stomach as well. So they can look for esophagitis. This is where they can look for ulcers um, and all those types of things. So direct visualization with the camera. The nice thing about the EGD is not only can they look directly at your esophagus in your stomach, but they can also take biopsies. So if there's some areas that they're worried about, they can take some biopsies and essentially make sure everything is okay. Um, the other things that can do is they can do what we call a pH probe. So something a little fancy that they kind of drop down in there and, you know, look at the pH in your stomach as well. And that could point towards, you know, um, reflux as well. And then oftentimes they can take a look um, what we call almost like a, a, a swallowing test where you swallow some contrast. And sometimes they can take a look and a barium swallow, look at the little bit structure of your esophagus and how things are moving through and if it looks like things are kind of refluxing back. So there's lots of kind of, I guess you could say, technology that can aid us in the diagnosis with reflux outside of just, um, you know, uh, your symptoms that can give us a little bit more information than we mentioned. So looks like we have a caller um, on line one. So we're going to go on to Evelyn and Jackson. Good morning, Evelyn. How are you? I am doing well. So, I have three sons. Yes, ma'am. Never had, never had any sort of, you know, acid reflux, whatever you want to call it, until my second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then it was pretty substantial for part of my pregnancy. The kid's now 23. I don't remember what part any longer. But uh, so, and then I didn't necessarily have it a lot with my third pregnancy. But then I have, I've, I've had it off and on since then. What is it about getting pregnant that, and I, I, I doubt we have an answer to this yet, but I, I, for me, acid reflux, heartburn was initiated during pregnancy. Evelyn? I, I, I don't have a whole lot of it. 
And look, I am right there with you. That is that is when I really grew a true appreciation for acid reflux is after my first pregnancy. And I was like, what in the world? And I also was like, what kind of sick joke is this? Because I also craved pepperoni pizza with sausage. And those are like absolute culprits of reflux and that was like my food of craving and that's all I wanted and I was in pain after every time I ate it but uh, so just a couple of things so actually during the pregnancy um, a lot of reflux is can be related of course to the position of the baby and that's why it gets worse as time progresses so as I tell patients the baby your your belly's growing the baby's position you know definitely pushing up on your abdomen and stomach and just not a whole lot of room for those types of things. So you get more reflux in general. And, you know, if, if we talk about it in the general population as well, weight loss is one of the things that they say can help with reflux. So we do know that some of that weight around there um, has a lot to do with contributing to reflux. So A, of course, as we know, that baby, the wonderful blessing that we are given also comes with many other things. Um, so the positioning of the baby, but also even hormonally, um, it can relax some of the hormones and things in pregnancy can relax that lower esophageal sphincter. Um, that's the little uh, muscle at the end of the esophagus that's keeping the food down in the stomach. Um, and so you have some relaxation in that muscle. Um, and so that just makes it a little bit easier for acid to come up and things to be a little bit more reflux. Now, why this continues on after we have the baby, that I don't know. And I wish someone would find it out because, I, like I said before, I never appreciated reflux until I was pregnant. And I thought once I had the baby, my problem was solved. Um, but I still deal with heartburn to this day after my first one. And why it differs from pregnancy to pregnancy, it's I think it's just how every pregnancy is different, to be honest. Well, and babies sit differently. And, they do. And, and, all, and all that. But, I, you know, I, I was like, I'm not sure what heartburn is. Until you have it. Until you have it. And you're like, I know exactly what this is. Yep. (laughs) You know, uh, but, uh, and uh, and often female ailments don't get researched in the same way way that men's ailments are. And I was, you know, wondering about that some too. But so I'm not crazy. It really did happen during pregnancy. And I can blame it all on my second son. You can. And that's okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But yeah, we're still learning a lot about it. We don't have the, the clear answer. But but yes, like I said, they're, they're, they're beautiful blessings, but they definitely, you know, came with a lot of changes that I'm still, I'll be honest, I'm still learning to embrace. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Yes, ma'am. My, my acid reflux reduced after the kid was born. Mm-hmm. Is that the same? Is, is that, has that been true with you too? Or Yes, ma'am. Has it, been? it has because okay, so again... We can give women hope. We can give women hope. It had Yes, after your child is born, it, it does get a lot better. Not back to where I was before, like many things, um, but uh, it does get better. There's hope. Okay, well, and maybe it has something to do with that thinkster loosening and, and not returning quite back to... Uh, its original status. But thank you very much. I, I've always wondered if I was crazy. You are not crazy. You're not making it up. That's a thing. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Have a good one, Evelyn.
No, that was a great question. Like I said, I never got a true appreciation of reflux until 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 pregnancy, and I still deal with it today. Not as bad, not nearly as bad. Um, my first was my worst, to be honest. I, I can't explain that, but the first one was the worst with my heartburn. Had it with the rest of them. I'm pretty sure I kept Tums in business during my pregnancy, um, but uh, um, it did get better with time. So as we mentioned before, you know, a lot of people do have those kind of classic symptoms of reflux. So, you know, if you're at home, you're like, I got classic heartburn. I ate that, you know, cheese pizza last night with pepperoni on it and I'm hurting and I'm burning. Probably was, in fact, your classic reflux. Um, But of course, if that's not getting better or something's just not right, I always tell people, please call your doctor. Um, But what what are some things to worry about? When is when is it? Should I say to myself, maybe I should just double check with my doctor for sure. So a lot of times if you've never dealt with reflux before and you're well beyond the age of 60 or so, and this is the first time you're having those symptoms, definitely talk to your doctor. So the fact that you've never had reflux and all of a sudden later in life you're starting to deal with it a lot, um, that's something that's very important to look at. Patients that have unexplained weight loss, you're having a lot of reflux symptoms and heartburn and you're not able to eat and you're, you know, all these things are going on. You're losing a lot of weight. That's something that I don't want you just going to get a Nexium over the counter and fixing at home. I need you to talk to your doctor. As I mentioned before, if you're having significant pain with swallowing, that odynophagia, you need to be talking to your doctor, making sure there's nothing in there. There's not an infection that needs to be treated that's causing your symptoms. If you are having a lot of vomiting with it, that's just not getting better. That's something that you need to be worried about. If you're noticing significant changes in your stools with your heartburn, your stools are now black or, or, you know, dark or tarry looking, or you see bright red blood, that That could be a sign that you're dealing with a significant ulcer or a mass or something of that nature. And this is not just your run of the mill reflux heartburn. You need to be talking to your doctor. So those are some things to just think of. And of course, if you have a family member um, that has had some type of, you know, stomach cancer or GI cancer, then you definitely need to be looking um, into talking to your doctor and making sure everything's okay. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC, and we have been having a pretty good discussion on reflux. And so um, I feel like uh, we have covered, you know, some symptoms and what are some ways to, what do I need to talk to my doctor about or, you know, concerning symptoms to look for with reflux. And looks like we've got us another caller. So we're going to head on to Miss Glenda in Macomb. Good morning, Glenda. Good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm about the same as I am every morning. I hope that's good. (laughs) (laughs) It is. With these symptoms, though, I'm going to tell you, I'm 68. I have a hiatal hernia, Mm -hmm. and uh, I have a regurgitation. Um, I don't ever have any pain or burning. But every now and then there's a little reflux. Or I'm going to say regurgitation because I don't really know. But anyway, what my biggest issue is chronic hoarseness and <clears throat> trying to clear my throat mm-hmm. all day long. I don't, it's not coughing. If I cough, it's volunteer. But it's like, <clears throat> and it affects my, vo- my vocal or my voice. And um, I've had it for years, and it just seems it's not getting any better. It seems like it's getting worse. The doctors put me on an acid reducer and a couple nasal allergy and a non-allergy spray for... 
for for a couple of weeks till I go back. He wants to do another allergy test, but I don't think it's an allergy. It's year round. Um, I think it has to do with my maybe high honey. I'm concerned mm-hmm. about my esophagus. Yes, ma'am. And so that would be my next question. Have you gotten a chance to see a GI doctor yet about your symptoms? Yeah, I had an EGD. Um, I want to say it was last year. It might have been earlier this year. And they didn't see anything at that time. Uh, I think my regular doctor is going to try to send me through for another one of those, maybe. Yes, ma'am. And so, Glenda, you bring up some great points. And the, and it definitely, um, reflux can f- affect more than one organ or one system. A lot of us think, oh, reflux, my GI, heartburn, you know, chest pain type thing. But a lot of patients, that acid can cause you to have a chronic cough. Um, you said voluntarily, but can cause a lot of throat irritation, hoarseness in a lot of patients. So you could honestly be a patient with a combination of things. We live in Mississippi, horrible allergies, potentially some post-nagasal drip, those type of thing that your allergy doctor is working with you on. But a lot of time, my patients that go in and have a normal EGD, um, I tell them that's not always the end of the story. So I usually get them back with their um, GI doctor to see if there's any more extensive tests that we need to see. Do we need to look at how much, if it looks like a lot of acid is coming up? You know, I kind of talked about that pH probe that some clinics may do. Um, There's another test as a manometry that that looks at the pressure if it's you know too much pressure um, at your stomach and and food tube or esophagus um, that things aren't moving the way they should and has your hiatal hernia gotten more extensive that would you qualify for a repair of that so I think you know honestly I tell a lot of patients we really do in medicine try to be as conservative as possible be as least invasive as possible as we can to control some of our patient symptoms but a lot of times you would have what we would call refractory potentially reflux that this could be and so we got to dig a little bit deeper and and trying to work you up and figure out what the next best step is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I, yeah, because I'd rather stay on the conservative side. Too. Yes. Just want them to uh, figure out what it is and how best to treat it. And, and you know, we try not, and oftentimes we'll put patients on antacids or antihistamines or, you know, um, what we call like proton pump inhibitors like the, you know, the Prilosec, the Nexium or Meprazole or those types mm-hmm. of things to try to suppress some of the acid. And then some of our patients, when we try to come off of that, things come right back. So sometimes we just have to suppress the acid a little bit longer as well. Um, but it, it's kind of a lot of layers to that, Glenda. And it sounds like your team is on the right track, getting back in with your allergy doctor um, and then just talking back with your primary care if it's time for you to go back to the GI specialist as well. I think it's going to be a team approach on this one. Okay, great. Okay, well, I was hoping for a quick answer. But oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, we like for the quick answers, but sometimes not always. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Yes, ma'am. You have a good day, Miss Glenda. All right. Well, Glenda kind of gives us a nice segue. So now I keep telling everybody, oh, this is reflux. This is reflux. This is reflux. Now it's like, what do I do? What do I do about my reflux? And like I was telling Glenda, you know, we really do in medicine try to do the more conservative side to things before we, you know, jump to medications or procedures or things like that. So, of course, the take home, start with your doctor, have a good discussion. Does it sound like I have reflux? Do I sound like I have something else going on? Do I need more tests? Um, That's all something your doctor can help you decide. But if he decides that this 
this is classic run-of-the-mill reflux. This is what you have. What are some things we can do? So I always try to give us some of the holistic approaches, not always directly to medication. So there are some lifestyle changes that we can make. Honestly, the studies on a lot of these lifestyle modifications and the actual impact that they have on improvement of symptoms is really mixed. And there's only two kind of lifestyle modifications that consistently in the literature have shown to help significantly with reflux. Other things have had mild improvements, um, but for some people, significant difference or a lot of our patients, weight loss can help with your reflux symptoms um, and elevating the head of the bed. So you're not laying flat at night. You're putting yourself up at an angle. Um, Those are things that can significantly help with your reflux symptoms. Now, my pregnant patients, I don't know what to tell you because there is a point where I was sitting up directly in the bed to sleep and I still got no relief. So, again, I'm. I'm out there praying for you, but there are some people that just still kind of have that challenge. Um, so weight loss and elevation of the head of the bed are some lifestyle changes that we can do to help with our reflux. So what are some other things that have kind of had, uh, you know, other kind of mixed review things or people have mentioned is try not to wear tight fitting clothes. That's something that doesn't have a lot of great support in the literature. And the other thing that I tell patients to start off with is really what we're eating. Some people can pinpoint exactly what their triggers are for heart. For me, it's that cold glass of orange juice. And any of your acidic foods can oftentimes be triggers for for patients. So everyone knows off the top of their heads, orange juice, grapefruit, some pineapple juice, those type of things. But my patients forget tomatoes. Tomatoes are actually pretty acidic. So any of those things with a red sauce, your spaghetti, your, you know, you know, that marinara sauce, your pizza that has the red sauce, all of those things can exacerbate some people's reflux and can be a trigger. Caffeine can be a trigger for many. Spicy foods, greasy foods, those are high in fat content can often do it. And this is the one that I probably fight the most with my family members and my patients is carbonated beverages actually can make your reflux worse. Like everyone's like, I just need a nice cold Coke or Sprite, make me burp real good and I feel a whole lot better. Well, that carbonated beverage can definitely sometimes be making things a lot worse. So maybe a temporary relief for a second, but later on, you know, can cause you some problems. Um, And so those types of things, chocolate can be a trigger for some people. So people that deal with a lot of reflux, I tell them, try to do a little journal notes in your phone or whatever it may be and try to pinpoint what might be causing your symptoms and try to ultimately eliminate them from your diet. Again, there's also some literature to support that alcohol and tobacco, people that smoke, that can oftentimes make their reflux a lot worse as well. So some patients, um, if you can cut back on the cigarettes and maybe a little bit of the alcohol, some people can essentially sometimes get relief. Now, one thing that has been shown in the literature, the more of those lifestyle modifications that we do, the more likely we are to improve our reflux. So if if you do, you know, weight loss, elevate your bed, change your diet, cut back on your smoking, all those things, you're more likely to get more symptom control than just by doing one thing at a time. So, you know, that might be miserable for somebody to change all those things. So maybe do it in a stepwise progress. But um, a lot of times you can get a lot of relief if, if you're able to eliminate multiple of the things. So the things that we all know the most to help with reflux are our over-the-counter stuff. And so patients with mild symptoms, I had that bad spaghetti the other night, or I had that bad pizza the other night, and I just have this isolated episode of some heartburn. 
It's perfectly fine to do things like Tums or Mylanta, those things that give you immediate relief. My patients that have long-lasting reflux, those are the ones that we kind of start looking into some of those kind of everyday kind of medications for you. So the histamine 2 receptor antagonists or H2 blockers are what we call them. So things that patients think of was Zantac, um, which was ranitidine, or Pepcid, P-E-P-C-I-D, Pepcid or Famotidine, those are the H2 blockers. And so they pretty much decrease acid secretion by inhibiting the histamine 2 receptors. So it suppresses it. Now, it is not all in your head. Pepsid or the H2 blockers sometimes do not give patients as much of a relief as the PPIs or what we call proton pump inhibitors. So those are your, you know, Nexium, um, um, is, which is also known as like Ezomeprazole, um, you've got Prilosec, um, you've got Prevacid. How confusing is that? A Pepsid and a Prevacid. So Prevacid is your kind of PPI that you can see. Um, Dexalin is something that a lot of my patients have used. And those are what we call PPIs, our proton pump inhibitors. Um, and so those are the ones that a lot of times patients get the most relief um, in, in general. But also those are the ones that uh, have oftentimes a bigger side effect profile. So some of my patients are a little bit more nervous um, taking those PPI. So those are just a few things that you can do for your reflux. But we have learned a lot today about reflux, the the symptoms of just what we call classic heartburn um, or reflux, how to work that up getting in with your primary care doctor and talking about your symptoms. Um, And then also some ways that we can manage it, just kind of watching what we eat and what might cause some of our triggers. Many over-the-counter antacids are good for, you know, that one bad meal that we had, like Mylanta or Tums or things of that nature. And maybe some of the more longer ongoing symptoms can have some improvement in what we call H2 blockers like Pepsid um, or um, our PPIs like your Nexium and Prilosec, those types of things. So, we looks like we have time for one more caller. We have Beverly here from Kosciuszko. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm great. So tell uh, me. I have about a question about Hep C. Okay. I recently had my wellness check mm-hmm. and had Hep C screening. I am positive for the antibodies. However, I do not have the active virus. But my nurse practitioner would still like me to see a GI, and I wonder what that would be for and what the GI would do. Sure. So, you know, hepatitis screening, you know, in the past, we particularly were making sure that we got the group of kind of baby boomers that we felt were like at increased risk. And then some of our other patients um, that we might consider increased risk were ones that were screening for hepatitis C, but they've broadening the recommendations for hep C screening. So um, the fact that you have the antibody that you have the antibody means at some point in time in your life, you had hepatitis C um, and your body was ultimately able to clear it. The reason that they're sending you to the GI specialist is a lot of times why do we care if patients had hepatitis C? So having had a history of hepatitis C just puts you at increased risk um, of other things, of of chronic liver disease um, and can ultimately uh, put you at increased risk for um, liver cancer or hepatocellular carcinoma. Now that is rare um, a lot of times with a lot of patients that have ultimately you know cleared hepatitis C but she's sending you there just to make sure that you have the appropriate screening with the liver ultrasound. Make sure that we don't see any masses or anything like that that's concerning for that. 
and no kind of chronic changes in your liver as well. Okay, that makes me feel better. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah, if you don't have, so you, you probably got the hep C screening. It was positive. Then they, they tested you to see if you have active virus in your system, and you didn't. And so she's just kind of making sure, you know, great kind of primary care doctor, making sure that not only have we tested you for this, but we're kind of making sure we're doing all the appropriate screening for that test as well. Okay, thank you. I appreciate your information. Yes, ma'am. You have a good one, Miss Beverly. You too. All right. So I tell everybody, some people are like, I feel just fine. Why do I need to go to my primary care doctor? So Beverly gave us a great example. We want to keep everybody healthy. That's the goal and um, try to, you know, prevent any harm from anything. So, you know, just getting in with your doctor for your kind of routine checkup and making sure uh, that we're getting all your up to date screenings um, so that we can work to, you know, keep everybody as healthy as possible. Um, So kind of getting a little bit back to reflux, we talked a little bit about uh, the different treatment options. And I have so many patients that have been on PPIs um, or the proton pump inhibitors, as I mentioned, and have had wonderful success. However, more and more literature is coming out about, you know, is it safe for us to be on these medications for such a long period of time? And I've had a lot of patients ask me because there's, you know, emerging research that, you know, even PPIs can be associated with chronic kidney disease and things of that nature. Well, honestly, across the board, these studies are still a little bit conflicting, but I tell everybody, we just have to keep these things in mind. And every medication that I have my patients on, I always ask myself, do we still need this medicine? Is it still doing what it's supposed to be doing? And is it something that we can consider coming off of? And so that's a conversation to have with your doctor. So if you're on a PPI or proton pump inhibitor for, you know, you had a real bad peptic ulcer or, you know, you've got some significant erosive esophagitis that we talked about and your doctor has told you you need to be on your PPI for this amount of time, then then that's kind of a different category. But I've had lots of patients, including including myself, my mom, you know, that have just had ongoing reflux symptoms and have been on some people with PPIs for years. So what are some things that are coming up in the literature as concerns of PPIs? And I'm only bringing this to to light because I have patients that not have only asked me about it, but also to make sure it's just a good conversation you have with your doctor. So some GI side effects from long-term use, not the people that did the PPIs for a couple of months, but these are patients that have been taking them for years. There's an idea that it might increase your risk for some GI infections such as C. diff. Um, So if you're having recurrent C. diff might be something to consider about if you need to adjust your PPI. Um, There's also other types of what we call a microscopic colitis or just inflammation within your colon that we believe can be associated with long PPI use, long-term PPI use. Now, one thing I have seen in some of my patients is that it can PPIs can interfere with the absorption of some of the um, of some of our vitamins and mineral. So I have had some patients with low magnesium levels secondary to their PPI use. So patients that might be having very low magnesium and very low potassium um, might need to be talking to their doctor about, you know, do I still need to be on this PPI or consider something else? There is also more coming out about bone health that maybe PPIs increase uh, affect our calcium um absorption and increase our fracture risk. So those things have been coming out and then even affecting um, vitamin B12, iron absorption as well. And as I mentioned, always the most concerning thing that came that came out when people started talking about PPIs were the association with chronic kidney disease. And so the conversation I have with my patients is we decide how bad are our reflux symptoms? Are my PP, is my PPI helping my reflux? I understand it might contribute to kidney disease, but God, I'm miserable 
Dr. Kency. Um, so, you know, we always just kind of weigh what I call the risk and benefits of the medications you're taking. So I really am hoping that everybody learned a lot about reflux today. And, you know, always I say, have this conversation with your doctor. Everybody's situation is very different. Everyone's medical history, family history, um, and everyone's lifestyle and things of that nature Um vary from patient to patient. So I want to make sure that, you know, you took this information today and maybe it kind of uh, helped someone treat their symptoms or say, oh, maybe I need to quit brushing this off and and have this conversation with my doctor um, in the future. And so don't forget, you know, reflux can be your run of the mill heartburn. Reflux can um, be just that simple. Reflux can even symptoms can be an association um, or seem like a heart disease. And so that's something you want to make sure that you're clarifying with your doctor as well. And we don't all need a medication for it. Some of us may in general benefit from some of the lifestyle modifications that we talked about this hour. So don't forget that if it, you don't have to remember all of what I said today by heart. It is available on our website via podcast. So anything that you might want to go back and listen to um, and remind yourself of is always available. I've been truly enjoyed talking with everyone on this Friday and I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and enjoy this beautiful weather. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It is a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.